0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. How many are ready? It seems like every week the topics get more fun for me. I don't know about you, but I'm just having a blast teaching this. It's heavy, it's good, um, but it's necessary. We believe we're ready. We believe as a church we're ready. We're excited about what God's doing. Um, I'm excited about the topic that I'm starting today, and I'm actually going to cover it for the next two or three, possibly even four weeks. Um, And so uh, I'm excited. How many have ever heard of the name Jezebel? Okay. How many related to one? Don't put up your hand. Don't put up your hand. Of course you're not related to one. We have none in this room. It's awesome. But they're all out there somewhere. Um, I'm going to do something different than I've done in the previous weeks. In the previous weeks, I've actually gone into detail about each spirit and talked in detail. I'm actually going to lay a foundation for the next couple of weeks because there's so much in the foundation of this person and of the spirit um, that if we skip over the foundation and the history of this person, I think we're going to completely miss what the spirit does and why it does it. And so today, I'm just going to lay a foundation, if that's okay, and I hope you guys um, just track along with me this morning. We've been talking for the last several weeks about this series called Unmasked, and the entire goal of this series is literally to unmask or to reveal the true identity of the demonic spirits over the city of Kingston that have been in the, in some ways the seedbed of this city since day one. When I came here Uh, nine years ago and had a prophetic dream or prophetic picture over uh, the city from Fort Henry, I saw this triangle. And in this triangle, I saw literally um, downtown, I saw a spirit of religion. In the north end, I saw a spirit of witchcraft. And in the west end, I saw a spirit of Jezebel. And over top of those three spirits, I saw a general. And his name was Leviathan. And obviously, for the first two weeks, we talked about Leviathan. For the second two weeks, we talked about um, religion, religion. Uh, last week we talked about witchcraft, and I'm going to be starting to talk today about Jezebel. Um, and I want to say right off the bat, um, just so there's no misunderstanding, there's no confusion, I've seen some erroneous teaching about Jezebel out in churches that basically say it's a, it is a woman. It's a manipulative little woman. I have news for you today. It, it, the name is referencing a queen from the Old Testament, but this spirit can get on man, woman, or anybody. It's not related to women. It's, it can, I've seen actually some of the worst cases in my personal life have been with a man or with men that I've seen this thing come on. So don't ever think this is something for females. Um, but interestingly enough, the three spirits that I see over the city, witchcraft, religion, and Jezebel, work together with such unity and such clarity that it's actually mind-blowing how much they kind of interweave together with everything that they do. And those three demonic spirits have three very specific goals. Are you ready for this? Number one, they want to put you in bondage. Number two, they want to strip you of your God-given identity. Number three, they want to divert you from your God-given purpose. That's what it wants to do. So if you ever have confusion about who you are in Christ or confusion about your purpose or your identity or what God has for your life, I have news for you. I bet you somehow, some way, these three spirits are influencing your thinking. Um, it's interesting that Jezebel is perfectly tied into religion. And, and Elijah, actually, the prophet, gives this away in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. And it says in verse 19 of chapter 18, it says, "...now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table." Jezebel was the one feeding them. Jezebel was the one influencing them. Jezebel was the one that gave them their marching orders and their duties. And so we have to understand this morning that Jezebel is very religious. She knows the word of God. She is in churches. This spirit is in churches every single Sunday. Okay? They love church. As a matter of fact, the spirit of Jezebel in some ways loves church more than church people do. Because they want to mess up churches, all right? And so we have to understand that there's a direct connection there. What's interesting here is Baal was a pagan god, and it was literally seen as the male god of the Phoenicians, which is where she was from, okay? Asherah was the Canaanite uh, goddess of love and sensuality. So these are the two gods that, that this spirit uh, wants to worship and wants you to gather around, Okay. And so what was interesting here, and I wanted to share a couple of tidbits of information. If it's okay, I'm going to do a lot of Bible history today. It's going to be like a Bible college lesson this morning, if that's all right. But the 450 Baal prophets were set up, and there was a temple that was built in Samaria. That was the first temple that was built by Jezebel under Ahab's orders to build a temple for her Baal gods, and it was in Samaria. 450 Baal prophets were the ones that ran that temple. In Jezreel was the other temple that was built, and 400 uh, prophets of Asherah were literally sent there uh, to be able to not only build the temple, to look after the temple, but to run its affairs. Okay, So we have to understand right away, Jezebel and religion are very much connected, so to, to kind of to divide them doesn't not, it doesn't make any sense. They are intimately connected. But Jezebel and witchcraft are also intimately connected. At the end of Jezebel's life. God sends a man by the name of Jehu, who we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks, uh, literally to destroy her and to kill her. Um, And when Jehu approached King Joram, which was Jezebel's son, uh, Joram asked Jehu if he comes in peace. Do you come in peace? And Jehu's response in 2 Kings 9.22 says this, How can there be peace, Jehu replied, as long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abound? So Jezebel is connected to witchcraft, and Jezebel is connected to uh, religion. So we have to understand, all of these things are connected. So we're good? All right, now I get to have fun. So who was she? And again, I want to say, this is not a a female that comes under the Spirit. I'm referencing her as she, because I'm referencing the Old Testament queen. Okay, so don't misunderstand what I'm going to say, or throw things at me after. Okay, good, all right. So, when we look at Jezebel in the Bible... um, We have to understand a couple of things. We have to understand who this spirit tries to influence and who comes naturally under its influence. Some of us are more influenced by certain things. There are certain things in our lives that we, I mean, someone else can struggle with a particular sin or a particular pattern of weakness, and we look at them and go, what's your problem? Just get over it, because we don't struggle with that. But then we have issues that they look at and go, well, why don't you just get over that? And So what we have to do is we have to understand and realize that every single person in this room right now has a particular weakness for certain things, right? right? Sour cream and onion chips. you know what i 'm saying <laughs> Dolores that's you know what we're like,, hey, come on now. Some of us have other demons, not named ruffles, could be Doritos, could be other things i don 't know what it is, but the reality is is that there 's things that affect us and influence our lives, and so we cannot. Be ignorant of what the enemy would try to do. Okay? So when, I, when you're processing through all of this information, I don't want you to come out of here, if you have any kind of connection to any of this stuff we're talking about, I don't want you to come out of here saying, I'm a Jezebel. What I want you to do is say, I see a weakness in my life, but King Jesus can heal me. <laughs> Step one to getting healed is recognizing the weaknesses. Right, I'm here today because I had to recognize and deal with some weaknesses in my life. And if I didn't, I would not be standing here today. Trust me, I would not. So, who does the spirit of Jezebel try to influence? And who naturally comes under their influence? Well, when we look at the foundation of this person's life, the spirit's life, I think we're going to have our eyes open to see exactly who this person loves to go after. Are you ready? We're good. Okay. So, I'm going to start with the very first place that Jezebel is actually mentioned, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 33, and it says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Have you ever thought of why? Part of it was because of who he was married to. Part of it was because of his own issues. But part of it, too, was because of who he was married to, okay? Um, He not only, uh, sorry, he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Remember Samaria, okay? Just keep that in the back of your mind. Ah, Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Now, what's an Asherah pole? It's a wooden image. It was a wooden, uh, in a sense, it was like an idol that they put up before the gods. And it was literally, I know this is going to sound really bad for young ears, just plug your ears for a second, but it was literally a sex symbol. Because they wanted people to worship the God of immorality, the goddess of immorality. That's really what this spirit was. But it's interesting when you look into the name and the meaning of the name of Jezebel, how much we get from the foundations of this person's life or this demonic uh, life, and who is susceptible to coming under its influence and control. Well, the first name uh, of Jezebel literally means unexalted or overlooked. Have you ever felt overlooked? When you feel overlooked, I'm telling you right now, you open up the door to something that is very dangerous and very deceptive and very manipulative, which is the spirit of Jezebel. Overlooked means to be not noticed, to, to not be considered for a position, to be unworthy. And Jezebel loves to hone in on people who feel overlooked, so it could be overlooked for an opportunity, it could be overlooked for a promotion, it could be looked overlooked in a relationship, it could be overlooked by a parent because of sibling uh, rivalry or even sibling favoritism. Uh, It could be overlooked by not being appreciated. It could be overlooked at social gatherings. It could be overlooked by not being picked in a school sports team. It could be overlooked because of the way kids treat you. It could be overlooked in a whole bunch of different ways. But the root meaning of Jezebel is to be unexalted or overlooked. If you are overlooked, guess what happens? You open up a door, potentially, in your life, to start to track down that way. The second meaning is this. Without habitation or without a place. Jezebel loves to focus in on people who are misplaced, out of place, replaced, and without a place. She loves that. She loves to focus in on those things. And the key word here is feel. Feel out of place. Feel misplaced. Feel replaced. Why? Because the Spirit of God wants you to understand that you are loved and you're accepted and you belong. The Spirit of God wants you to know that you have a place, that you are so vitally important. To the kingdom work in this city that without you, this kingdom business would not be effective. Without you, and you say, well, I don't have much to offer. That's okay. God uses the, the people that don't have much to offer. I'm proof of that. <laughs> if anyone knows my history, you know I don't have much to offer. But I do the best I can with what I got. But you have to know today, you have a place. Jezebel wants to take you out of place. He wants you to feel overlooked, unappreciated. And it's those people that the, that enemy, that particular spirit loves to hone in on. Are we good? Okay. Second thing is this. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal. And and what was interesting here was this Ethbaal literally means to be with Baal or to be toward Baal. In other words, everything about that person's life pointed towards Baal, which was a pagan god, which was idol worship. Okay? Um, What was interesting here was Jezebel herself, Queen Jezebel, was actually devoted to to the worship of a person called Baal-Melkart, which was the god of Phoenicia, she was devoted to the worship of Asherah, and the entire focus of that worship was idolatry. The key that we have to understand is that Jezebel's goal, once, once she kind of hones in on you and prays on you and, 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 and sidetracks you from the purpose of God and the God-ordained identity that you have in Christ, the entire purpose of the spirit is to get you focused on something other than Jesus. That's idolatry. Sometimes we hear the word idolatry or idols and we think we can't even relate to it in our modern day culture because the only thing that I kind of put my mind to is is American Idol. But that's not necessarily what we need to think about, right? But the reality is, is this, is that Jezebel's father was a Baal worshiper. Jezebel's father was the person who pointed her towards Baal worship and Baal worship in essence was idolatry. The focus on something different so second kings nine we're just gonna we've already read this verse but i want to go back to it it says how can there be peace Jehu replied as long as all idolatry and witchcraft of your mother jezebel abound the goal of jezebel is idolatry what is idolatry it's to worship an object as god or above god it's to have excessive attachment or devotion to something or someone extreme admiration or love for something or someone It's putting greater emphasis, greater value, greater worth on something that should be on Jesus himself, right? That is the essence of idolatry. We learned a couple weeks ago about Paul addressing the Judaizers with the spirit of religion and how religion tried to creep into the New Testament church and how it tried to trip them up from the purpose and the plan of God for their life. Well, in Romans chapter 1, which some of you may remember because we've just read it in the last couple of weeks with our Bible reading plan, he addresses in Romans chapter 1 this issue of idolatry. And it says in verse 21 it says for although they knew God they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we put our emphasis on something other than God then it literally says our hearts become darkened toward what? Toward him? So I've seen people that are on a right path, doing well, everything's going good, and then, you know, something trips them up, something causes them to stumble, and they're struggling for a little bit, and then what's the very first thing that happens? They don't see straight. Confusion settles in. Their hearts that were once enlightened to the things of God are now darkened to the things of God. They don't hear God's voice, and they're struggling, okay? Goes on, and it says, verse 22, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They exchanged the truth for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Idolatry. Serving created things rather than the creator. We seeing this this morning? Okay. So what do we worship today? Thank you for asking. What are the idols we, fo- we focus on today? Um, it starts with S. And then it goes E. And then L. And then F. Self. That's what we worship today. Self. Me, 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 me. It's always about us. Think about all of the... like. Take Donald Trump aside for a second, but think about everything else that's going on in the world right now. Think about every discussion, every, every, every topic, every hot topic, every hot button issue. When people are talking about the things that, that are going on in the world today, what is, every single topic comes back to the same thing. Well, I want, I want, I want, I want, my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights, I want, I want, I want, me, 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 me. And the one thing I learned many, many years ago, and I highly recommend that you don't learn it the hard way. I did learn it the hard way. But um, one of the things I realized is that at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about him. John the Baptist prayed one of the most incredible prayers. Lord, I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. When we come to Christ, it's not about us. It's about him. When we live our lives, it's about reflecting the glory of Jesus, not about reflecting our own glory. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So we serve and we, we worship self. And if I can say this as well, we, we also worship self-will. Which is the root of humanism. We worship status, identity, recognition, and purpose. Every time I hear an American talk about the American dream, I almost choke. Because I think to myself, so then it's all about you. You. And I'm not against having, you know, having a drive and going for it. I think we should all have a drive and we should all go for what God has put on our lives. We should never, ever, ever not go for what God's put in our lives. But so much of what I hear in, in, in terminology today, it's always about us. And it's not about us. Sometimes that worship of idols can be wealth, materialism, or success. It can also include our bodies. It, can, it could be our children, our spouses, our cars, our sports, our friends, anything. The New Testament actually repeats this, this warning many, many times. In 1 John five twenty one, it says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. He goes on in 1 Corinthians ten fourteen. he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is when we turn away from the source of all life, Jesus, to ourselves. And we make alliances with other things or other people that is outside of the spirit of God's leading. Okay? So remember our theme verse from last week. First Samuel 15, 23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. This is a happy verse. <laughs> this is one of those happy verses we like to share every once in a while. Uh, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity. Another word for that is sin. And idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So stubbornness is idolatry. What is, the, what is sometimes the greatest proof when you're dealing with an individual that is, that is literally in idolatry or processing down that path? one of the greatest proofs of an an idol in their life is when they stubbornly defend it. And I'm, I'm not just talking about, oh, you know, oh, yeah, it's all good. It's okay. It's not a big deal in my life. But I'm talking about stubbornly defending. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. We're good. Okay, good. Moving right along. So, we had someone that's overlooked, out of place, susceptible to that spirit. We had somebody... Uh, connected to Ethbaal, which was speaking about idolatry. That's the goal of Jezebel. What's the third thing? Well, Ethbaal was the king of the Sidonians. And there's some interesting little Bible history about Sidon or or the area of Sidonia that is talked about in the scripture. First of all, Sidon was a Phoenician city. It's actually what would be considered modern-day Lebanon. So if you see a port city in modern-day Lebanon, that's basically where Sidon was. Um, it was one of the oldest Phoenician cities, and it was the chief city of the Canaanites. And I want to go in a little Bible history lesson for you for a second. Are you ready for this? It's amazing how things are connected in Scripture, but sometimes we always don't put them all together. So Sidon, the city, shockingly enough, was named after a man. Named? Wow, you guys are sharp. So Sidon, the city, was named after a man named Joel? You got it, man. You're good. That's awesome. Well, guess who uh, Sidon's daddy was? Canaan. Guess who Canaan's daddy was? Ham. Guess who Ham's daddy was? Noah. Guess who Ham was? Ham was the son that exposed his father's nakedness, exposed his his sin and told the whole world. Well, it was eight people, but he told the whole world. Okay? The entire world at that time, the entire known world knew about uh, Noah's sin. So Noah's sin was drunkenness and nakedness. Ham exposed it. Canaan was Ham's son. Sidon was Canaan's son. Here's what's interesting about this. The first human curse spoken from a human over another human recorded in the Bible was Genesis chapter 9. Noah speaking to Ham about his offspring. Are you ready for this? Genesis chapter 9 verses 24 to 25. It says, When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be! Canaan, why in the world did he say curse be Canaan and not curse be him? Huh. Because he was, he was literally, I believe, prophetically declaring over the situation that there was a genealogical issue that is now in the seedbed of your family, and unless you address it, it's going to carry on generation to generation to generation. This was the beginning of the spirit of Jezebel. This was the seedbed of Jezebel in the Bible. Genesis chapter 9. This is where Jezebel came to be. Put yourself in ham shoes. What suddenly happened to him? He was cursed. The lowest of slaves will be to his brothers. What's the lowest of slaves mean? Overlooked. Overlooked. He no longer has that place, so now he's out of place. He's been replaced because now Shem and Japheth were got all the blessings, so he's just been replaced in the blessing line. Now he's out of place, because he's overlooked. And that person opened up a door to that spirit of Jezebel. What's interesting about this whole city of Sidon, it was actually famous for a couple of things, but the thing it was most famous for was, um, it was famous for dyeing clothes. So it would take, you know, wool that had been, you know, put together into clothes or shirts or pants or anything like that. And what was famous for, and, and even archaeologists have declared this. So this isn't necessarily just a scriptural precedent, but this is an archaeological precedent of things that they found. They have always found that the Sidons were famous for their purple dyeing. Purple representing authority, right? Okay? So... It was interesting here that the history of Sidon is that they love to color everything. And people that come under the influence of Jezebel love to color everything. They color everything in order to protect themselves, right? So it's no longer the original issues. It's no longer what was originally created or made. It's now morphed into something completely different, right? That is, that is the work of Jezebel. They take, how many have ever played the game of Telephone. Right? And you get to the end of the circle and somehow the story changed from you know, Bobby and Sally are going to get married when 2017 to the Leafs will win the cup before I die. You know, that's exactly it. Now, I was not in the circle to change it. I was not in the circle to change it, but that's basically what happens when it comes to somebody who's struggling under this influence is they color every circumstance and color every situation in order to fit what they're comfortable with. Okay? Well, Moving right along, Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab of Israel. And what's very interesting about the story, again, many of you may not know this, but I found this incredibly interesting. This is the first time in the history of Israel where a Israeli king married a woman outside of his race, outside of the people of Israel. It's the first time. And for those that have ever been through Bible college, you understand that there's a there's this neat little Bible college tidbit called the law of first mention. Whenever something's mentioned for the first time, there's significance to it, right? Whether it's the place, the person, the event that happens, there's significance to it. And so not only was this the first time that an Israeli king married uh, somebody outside of their race, he married a pagan princess. But think about this for a second. I strongly wonder why she was offered up to Ahab Was she overlooked? I don't have biblical proof, but I've often wondered, maybe she was overlooked. Maybe she was replaced. Maybe there was another daughter that was better than her that was able to marry somebody within the the kingdom that she came from, from Tyre and Sidon. Maybe. I don't know. But here's what was interesting about this whole concept. Ahab... Married someone outside of God's blessing. What is that? It's compromise. It's compromise. Not only did she marry Ahib, but she married it with the sole purpose to ratify an alliance between Sidon and Israel. With the stipulation that she would be allowed to worship Baal and Asherah as much as she pleases and as long as she pleases. Without any hindrance. That's pretty scary when the original declaration is, yeah, you can marry me as long as I get to worship my own gods and, and, and not only worship my own gods, but actually bring it into your country. Which she did, setting up 450 Bel prophets in Samaria and 400 Asherah prophets in uh, Jezreel. What's interesting here, not only is that another compromise, but her two sons she raised to carry on that process and her daughter... Whose name was Alethiel, she actually convinced her in 2 Kings eight eighteen to marry King Jeroboam's son or King Jehoshaphat's son in order to infiltrate the lineage in Judah. So at that particular time, Israel and Judah were two different nations; they had split. So she's thinking to herself: Not only can I influence Israel, but if I can get my daughter to marry Jehoshaphat's son, then guess what? I can influence Judah too, and that's exactly what she did. So her very daughter. Not only were her two sons. Uh, King Joram became the king after Ahab, but not only did her two sons influence, but now her daughter was influencing the entire other land of Judah. So she's just spreading her love everywhere. It's crazy. Jezebel looks for people who are overlooked and out of place. His goal or its goal is to color your perspective in order to get you to compromise, once you compromise, you get focused on something else other than Jesus. That's called idolatry, the idol of self. Do you see how she works? This is what she does. And I have news for you this morning. There's nothing new under the sun. She's never changed her tactics, her ways. We're going to learn about all the different ways that she does things in the next couple of weeks. And there's lots of them. She has a lot of tactics. She has a lot of schemes. But you have to understand there's something very inherently wrong in the very seedbed of her life and in the history of her life. Okay, I want to talk just for a couple of minutes before we, we take communion together this morning um, about the New Testament example of Jezebel. And many people have argued over whether this is a, second, a different person named Jezebel or what it was. And I've been researching quite a bit. And the one thing I keep landing on is that most Bible scholars, not everyone, but most Bible scholars agree that when Jesus was referencing through the uh, Apostle John in the book of Revelation, when Jesus was referencing Jezebel, uh, in his declaration to the church of Thyatira, um, it actually wasn't an individual person named Jezebel that he was referencing. It was actually a group of people that were operating out of a Queen Jezebel-like influence. So he was addressing the Jezebel spirit in the New Testament church, okay? And what's interesting here is the, the two things or the two issues... Uh, that Jezebel in Revelation chapter 2 does, which is sexual immorality and uh, sacrifice of things to idols, were the very two things that the Jerusalem Council addressed with the Judaizers in Acts chapter 15 that we learned about two weeks ago. Same thing. Because religion and Jezebel and witchcraft work in cahoots with one another. They are literally uh, hired by the same guy named Leviathan. Okay? It's Leviathan's business to hire those three and he uses them all the time. Okay, And the goal, or the the name of that name, Jezebel, to New Testament believers actually represented what they understood as apostasy. Now, many of you may not know that meaning or that word, but I'm going to explain it. Apostasy literally means to abandon or renounce a particular belief. Well, sounds like witchcraft, doesn't it? Deception. The second thing is, is the abandonment of a previous loyalty. Well, it kind of sounds like Leviathan, doesn't it? To separate you from your God-ordained attachments. Hello! So here we got Leviathan, religion, witchcraft, Jezebel, all working together. So let's start at Revelation chapter 2. We're just going to read this quick. Verse 18. And it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this. Um, Just a quick little uh, history lesson again before we move on. Thyatira literally was a famous city that meant sacrifice. Um, It was a city famous for, guess what? Dying clothes. Among ancient ruins discovered by archaeologists, they have found inscriptions highlighting the guild of dyers that were famous from this city for hundreds of years. They were famous for the same thing. They represented people that loved to color information in order to protect themselves and to change the story to color them to make them look good goes on in verse 18. It says, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Now, I want you to know right away, this is not a bad church. This is a church in a lot of ways, I think, that almost describes us. We're doing more than we did when we started. We're serving the community more than we did when we started. We're helping out in more ways that we did when we started. That's awesome. So I look at that and I go, man, that's almost like impact. But then as soon as I read that, I thought, yeah, that could be like impact. And I don't want that. Right? I don't want what comes next to be a description of impact. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. We tolerate the spirit Jezebel. To tolerate is not necessarily to... To market something or to propagate something, sometimes it's simply letting something happen without doing anything about it, okay? We cannot tolerate this spirit. It's interesting here, too, that the spirit uh, of Jezebel, in operation in these women's lives, in these people's lives, calls themselves a prophet. So they take the role of something that was never given to them, but they take it themselves, okay? So they're self-appointed, sometimes they're uh, man-appointed, but... It says, by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Hmm, interesting. Goes on in verse 21. It says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will pay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatara, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I received authority from my father. It's saying here, if we can overcome the spirit of Jezebel, we can rule nations. If we address the spirit of Jezebel and address the root issues of Jezebel in our midst and in this city, we can rule nations. Every time I think about Kingston, everyone who talks about Kingston keeps talking about, you know, there's an apostolic call and, and there's things that this city is going to be used in God and this was the original capital of Canada and God's going to use it significantly again. Well, that's proof of it right there. If we deal with the spirit that has taken residence in this city for far too many years, guess what's going to happen? This city will rule nations. There'll be rulers of nations People involved in ruling nations and having a voice at the table of decision here in Kingston because of what God's going to do. Amen. Okay. So what did she teach? <laughs> well, in essence, it was simply this. She wanted to pervert the gospel. She wanted to twist it. She wanted to change it. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, for those that are taking notes, I don't have it on the screen, but for those that are taking notes, 2 Corinthians um, 11, verses 3 and 4, it talks about another Jesus or another gospel that they were preaching. And the three that I think would stand out today in our culture today, number one is this, universalism. Some of you may have never heard this, but as soon as I explain it, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. Universalism is the idea that everyone goes to heaven because there's no way on, on the face of the earth that God, a loving God would ever send someone to hell. It actually comes from a form of Gnosticism, which was part of where the Judaizers came from. And they tried to absolutely uh, debate the gospel of Jesus Christ to such a degree. But Paul put them down and dealt with them. But you have to understand, universalism is not a biblical concept. It is a concept to fit a a principle that they cannot grasp because it sounds too harsh. So I'm going to change it. I'm going to color it in order to make it adapted to my way of thinking so that I feel comfortable. Are we all here? That was a good point. Thank you, Cameron. That was a good point. That's exactly what's happening in our culture right now. The second thing that they do is this, hyper-grace. Hyper-grace teaching is grace that says uh, that we have a license to sin because Jesus paid the price for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin, therefore we have a license to sin. Therefore, when we sin, it's not bad because Jesus already paid the price for it. Therefore, we can keep sinning. Sounds nuts, but I've got into, I don't want to say arguments, but I've got into some very interesting discussions over the last eight years, not just with people at impact, but people actually in a lot of ways outside of impact, but people around, where you get into this conversation, it's like, well, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, oh, God's forgiven me. Well, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty kind of erroneous teaching there, that you can go on sinning and just keep saying, well, God forgives me and God loves me. How many would we feel about that if our children kept doing that? Hey, Mom, you're just supposed to love me, so I'm just going to keep sinning. Uh, that doesn't work in our home. I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't work in our home. That's no good for us, okay? And the third thing is this is humanism. Humanism says that our lives are our own, that we are the gods who determine what is right and wrong by our own mechanisms or our experience. We determine it. We, 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 idol of self, okay? But I want, I have news for you. I'm going to end with this thought, but I have news for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can restore you. Jesus can forgive you, Jesus can set you free, Jesus can set anybody else free. If you know of a situation you're dealing with in your life right now, whether it's somebody at work, someone in your house, someone in your neighborhood, someone your kids are connected to, I have news for you today. King Jesus can heal and bring deliverance to the very issue that was messed up in its beginning stages, like Genesis chapter 9, God can bring healing. God can bring deliverance. Remember the story of Genesis chapter nine, Sidon's father Canaan and Canaan's father Ham? Jezebel's first duty as queen was to appoint four hundred and fifty Baal prophets to Samaria. What was the problem with Jezebel? Was the worship of self. So Jesus had to come and rip up the seeds that had been planted by Jezebel in Genesis chapter nine. He had to go back to the same area that those seeds were planted, and he had to rip them out and restore true worship. Well, how did he do that? John chapter 4, a story that's very famous for most of you. He saw someone at the well, and she was called the woman at the well, and where was she from? Hmm, Samaria. And what was her problem? She had five husbands, and the person she was with now wasn't her husband. Hmm, Asherah, the goddess of immorality. Wow, Jezebel. So Jesus comes back to the very place where the seeds of Jezebel were planted, in Genesis chapter 9, looked at them and said, "Um, Do you want some water that will cause you to never thirst again? Water that, you know, idol worship causes you to thirst for more because you can't get enough. But I'm coming to let you know that I bring water that will never, ever, 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 ever cause you anything but have a quenched taste in your mouth for the rest of your life. My name is Jesus. And she goes, well, I don't know which mountain you worship on. I don't know which hill you worship on. I don't know which temple of Asherah you worship on. So how do I understand what you're doing? Jesus looked at her and says, I am he that you worship. Because I'm the one that gives living water. And I'm going to teach you something today. I'm going to teach you how to worship in spirit, Holy Spirit, and in truth because he wants to overwhelm and overcome the compromise that was planted in Genesis chapter 9 that had never been done away with. So Jesus came and said, hmm, I'm going to plant two new seeds today. The Spirit of God, truth. The story didn't stop there. She gets this message. She's blown away because... Gotta remember, and we're going to learn this next week, the whole goal in church life of a Jezebel spirit is to mess up with the prophetic. Prophetic people can either come under this influence or be attacked by this spirit more than anybody else. So what does he do? He sets it all straight by prophesying about her situation in order to bring healing. So she, he prophesies up a storm. She's like, how in the world did you know that about me? She's blown away. She comes to Christ, but then the story doesn't stop. She makes her way back to where? Samaria. And almost the entire village comes to Christ that day. Because of one person that was touched and transformed by the healing power of King Jesus. I don't know where you're at in your life right now. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's coming against you. Some of you I do. Some of you I don't. Some of you may have come out of this message and hearing this stuff and going, you know what, I'm susceptible to this thing because of that's describing me. Some of you are probably thinking, well, I know who that's talking about and I wish they were here today. <laughs> you know? It's always like that. It's like, whoa, whoa, you know. Or some of it could be like, you know, man, I just see now how the last 30 years, the last 20 years, I see how this thing has come against me. Maybe I'm prophetically inclined. Maybe you are. Sandra and I, from the moment we met until today, we have been attacked consistently by the spirit of Jezebel in so many creative and wonderful ways. Now we laugh at it. It's like, oh yeah, here we go again. You think you got something new under the sun? We know what you're going to do. Like, come on. Is that the best you can do? Like, seriously. Are you telling me that that's the best you can do? That's where we've gotten to, but 16, 17 years ago, it was more like, no, Jesus, take us home, Jesus. I can't deal with it one more day. (sighs) Okay, that was more like two weeks ago. But you know, I'm doing better now. (laughs) I'm doing better now. I've gotten free. I've gotten free. It's awesome. It's awesome. Just don't talk to Sandra about the stories of Sandra curled up in a fetal position in the corner of a room. (laughs) You know, of me doing that, because that's, you know, honey, you okay? Honey, just make it go away. Make it go away. Make it stop. Kidding. That was me 20 years ago. But I have news for you today. King Jesus is here. King Jesus is here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.